is a much-beloved, critically acclaimed Netflix show that tells the story of Queen Elizabeth's, speaking of Elizabeth's, uh, rise to and reign from the throne of Great Britain. Uh, I've actually watched a few episodes of The Crown, and I like it. I like it better than Game of Thrones, which we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, although I hear that Queen Elizabeth's even a big fan of Game of Thrones. They're both interesting British tales of power and rule, but at least The Crown doesn't have quite as much uh, sex and violence, at least not included in the show. Um, but what I find interesting about The Crown is that it tells a story many of us know already. We've watched Queen Elizabeth's rule unfold of the, over the years. We, we generally know what happens. We even know how her story is almost certainly going to end. Now, Elizabeth will sadly pass on someday soon. Her, her son, Charles, uh, will likely pass on the throne to Prince William, whose reign, William's reign, will give inspiration to bald men everywhere and what they someday soon may to become. We know what happens, but we watch anyway. We love tales of royalty. We are fascinated by their lives. We are fascinated by everything about them. We are fascinated by the likes and the dislikes of their children. Whenever I see pictures and stories of Charlotte and George and the news websites and what they're eating these days, uh, I, I can't understand why these stupid websites keep running these stupid stories. Then I find myself unable to stop reading them. <laughs> and I realize, oh, it's because of people like me. We love tales of royalty. We love tales of royalty in and, and all their detail. Uh, even if we know how their stories will end, we love watching them. This morning, I want to tell you another tale of royalty. I want to tell you another tale of a royal king and a real king. Too, a, a real king with real power, not a pretend king who doesn't do much but wear funny clothes. And I want to tell you about a royal king whose rise to and rule on his throne is, is far more dramatic than anything that, that Hollywood could come up with. And what's interesting about this king is that like Queen Elizabeth in The Crown, we know how his show will end too. The ending to his show was written a long time ago, but it's still a show we watch, and it's still a show we should watch because there's actually a show in which we play major roles in his kingdom. Of course, I'm talking to you about Jesus, who is our king. This summer, we've been talking about Jesus in our series. It's called uh, Summer in the Sun. Been trying to get to know Jesus a little bit better. We're Christians here. We want to know what it means to follow Christ. So the way that we've been trying to follow, get to know Jesus is by uh, studying uh, some of the many titles and names used in reference to Jesus in the uh, New Testament. There's all sorts of names and titles used uh, to refer to, to Christ. And you can understand a lot about someone by understanding their names. Uh, son of man, son of God, son of David, Logos, I am, Christ, Messiah, uh, mediator, teacher, prophet, all names that we've talked about this summer. And while there are other names of Jesus that we could just kind of keep going with, we're actually going to finish up this series this morning by discussing one of the more important names used of Jesus in the Bible. It's the title King. Jesus is our king. It is the uniform testimony of Scripture that Jesus entered our world and reigns over it as a king. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to the arrival of Jesus as a king. The prophet Isaiah uh, predicted that a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Basically, a child will soon come who will be your king. 
And once he had arrived on the earth, people regarded Jesus as a king. That's who they knew him to be. Like when he entered Jerusalem, onlookers said, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus himself talked about being a king, and he wasn't showy or arrogant about it. He wasn't like Muhammad Ali, I'm the king. But he didn't deny it when pressed, like when he's on trial before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate asks him quite simply, so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born to be your king. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And not only is Jesus a king, Jesus is the king. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, contains a glowing image of Jesus ruling over all creation as the king. While he sits on the throne of heaven, John writes that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That must have hurt down there, though, right? Inner thigh, pretty sensitive for a tattoo. Mine's still smarting. Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is our king. But what does that mean, really? What does it mean that Jesus is our king? I mean, we don't have kings here in America. Aside from the history books and the tabloids, uh, we're not really that experienced with the concept. And despite our fascination with the royals, we actually don't want kings, we don't like kings. Our American ancestors started a war to be done with kings. We like our independence. We want to sell our tea at the price we decide. Thank you very much. So let's start a war. So even if we knew what it meant for Jesus to be our one true king, what does that mean for us if we generally prefer not to have them? That's actually a big question. What does it mean that Jesus is our king? In fact, there is so much to talk about when it comes to Jesus as our king that I struggled mightily knowing even how to compose this sermon. The notion of kingship, um, the notion of the kingship of Jesus is one of the more important and prevalent topics in the whole Bible. Uh, Jesus as a king could be a a 12-part, 120-part sermon series in and of itself. I only have 30 minutes this morning. I'm already eight minutes in. If you subtract time for awkward jokes like this one, I've got about 20 minutes left. How do I explain Jesus the King in 20 minutes? Not going to happen. Just too much material. But I want to give you something. You've got to give your money's worth. Get your money's worth here this morning, right? At least those of you that are tithing. The rest of you, I guess, is a freebie. So what I thought I'd do this morning is tell you a story. I want to tell you the story of Jesus' rise to the throne of heaven and earth. As I mentioned, we might not like having kings, but we like to read about them. We like to watch their stories on TV. We like to follow them in the tabloids. And the story of Jesus' ascension to the throne of heaven is far more interesting than anything you'd watch on Netflix. In fact, taking Netflix as our guide, The creators of the show, The Crown, are actually planning six seasons uh, to tell the story of of Elizabeth, uh, to bring it up to the present day. They just, I think, just finished season two, I believe. I figure that's a good schedule, six seasons. So if I were writing the teleplay of Jesus' rise to the throne of heaven and earth, six seasons should do it. In fact, six seasons might just be perfect. The title, The Crown, has already been taken. So as a working title, we're going to try something a little different. We're not going to call it the crown. We're going to call it 
King Jesus, the series. I know, I could do better. Uh, marketing, we'll have to work with that a little bit. But for now, what follows are summaries of each of the six seasons. This show will clearly not get picked up by any TV producers, but maybe as I pitch it to you this morning, it might help you understand a little bit more about what it means that Jesus is the king of heaven and earth and whether or not we will admit it, king of you and I as well. Season one, introduction. Season one of King Jesus starts way back in the book of Genesis. Yep, book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, he knew that it would need to be ruled. Creation was meant to be ruled. Without being ruled, creation would remain wild and chaotic. The new earth God made needed organizing and maintaining and tilling. The cities that would get built needed governing. So when he created Adam and Eve, he made them kings over the earth. He really did. That's what Genesis says. In Genesis chapter 1, the author writes, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. Rule. It's a kingly verb. Other translations say, Have dominion over. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let them rule, he said. You might not know this, but... When God created the earth, he created us to exercise his kingly rule over it. We were created to be his viceroys. We were created to be his regents. We were to keep things ordered and prosperous as kings of the earth. But of course, you know, we didn't. The story of Genesis does not tell a tale of humans ruling well over creation. It tells a story of conflict and violence as humans created to be rulers chose instead to neglect our royal responsibility and become destroyers instead. The story, that story is continued in the rest of the Old Testament as king after king, ruler after ruler gives in to corruption and violence. Even the great kings of old leave terrible messes in their wakes. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. The earth needs to be ruled. People need rulers with authority and power. But it became very obvious, very quickly, that we are not the ones to do it. If the earth stands a chance at peace and prosperity, it needs a different kind of king. That's season one. The earth needs to be ruled to be prosperous, but it has no ruler. Season two of King Jesus continues the tale. I would label season two preparation. Even after it had become obvious that the earth needs a different kind of king to rule, preparations were required. As many people as possible needed to be convinced that a different king was, was necessary. As many people as possible needed to know what kind of king to look for and to prepare themselves for his arrival. I mean, before kings make their entrance, preparations need to be made, right? Menus have to be prepared. Rooms got to be ready. Musical numbers need to be rehearsed. One of the episodes in uh, The Crown that I caught shows Elizabeth and Philip, her husband, uh, traveling to some of their colonies. And in order to, for these visits to go well, preparations had to be made a year in advance. you got to be ready. That's how it goes with kings. you got to be ready for their arrival. So it goes with King Jesus. Much of the story of the Old Testament is the story of preparation for the king God knows the world needs. Specifically, the people were told what to look for in the king and how to recognize him. Because there's always a lot of people showing up claiming to be king, and God wanted his people to be able to identify the right one. As early as the book of Deuteronomy, for example, 
Deuteronomy being one of the oldest books in the Bible, God was preparing the world for their king by telling them to what to look for and what not to look for, as God tells his people. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. In other words, don't give in to what the other nations want as their king. You need a different kind of king. And here's the kind of king he says you should be looking for. He goes on to describe it. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. He must not take many wives. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. He is to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers. You need a different kind of king here what to look for, he says. Not a violent king who amasses wealth and wives, a king who knows the law of God, a king who loves righteousness, a humble king who doesn't consider himself better than others. That's the king we need. That's the king we should prepare for. That's the king we should look for. That'd be season two, preparation. Now, honestly, the first two seasons of King Jesus, the series, uh, might be a little slow. A lot, of, a lot of series actually get canceled after the, after the second season. Audience doesn't really pick up. So if, if I were a screener, I'd have to spice it up a little bit with some sex and some violence to keep people interested. You know as well as I do, there's lots of sex and violence in the Old Testament, so there's lots of good material there. But if we can just make it through the first two seasons, if we can just make it to season three, we're in the money, because in season three, things pick up. I'll call season three Inauguration. You know what inauguration is. The inauguration is the beginning of something. It's what presidents do on the first day of their presidency, the day of their inaugural. They begin their term. Along these lines, there is a moment in the Bible when after centuries of preparation, the king finally arrives on the scene to inaugurate his rule. His name is Jesus. Jesus has grown up in an obscure Judean village, a good little Jewish kid. As he grows, he matures in the understanding that he was born of a virgin, that he is the son of God. He is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah come to set things straight. Jesus realized he is the leader God has ordained to rule. He is the king anointed to bring order back to earth. So he begins. In the early chapters of every gospel, he makes a public appearance, an inaugural announcement, as he, as he does in Mark. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Everywhere he goes, that's what he says. The kingdom of God is near. Other, translates, other translations translate a little bit different. The kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is among you. But the basic gist of what Jesus is announcing here on Inauguration Day is that the reign of God has officially, is officially now started today through me. No more waiting. No more preparing. I've come as God's agent to rule the earth and put it back in place, and that starts now. What has been a planet of violence and death and sin since Genesis, I am going to recreate into a place of community and peace and prosperity. What Adam and Eve and y'all were supposed to do, I am going to do. I'm going to be the king that God knows the earth needs. But then King Jesus surprises everybody. He does not exercise God's rule the way people expected. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. People thought that when the king, the son of David, arrived, he would wield a sword and exercise God's dominion over the earth by war and conquest. But that's not how he did it, which brings us to season four, expansion. 
That's what kings want to do, right? They want to build. They want to expand their kingdom. Normally, they expand it through violence and conquest. That's how the great empires of history expanded their territory. That's how Caesar expanded Rome. That's how Alexander the Great expanded Greece. That's how the British Empire expanded their empire on which the sun never set. America drove out the Indians and bought the Louisiana Purchase. And maybe now Greenland. We're still expanding. That's how most nations expand. They purchase, they conquer. But Jesus did not come to build his kingdom that way. He came to build his kingdom not with the sword, but with grace and humble service. He touched people's hearts with love and truth. He made them citizens of this new kingdom. In fact, much of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels emphasizes this, what life in his kingdom is really like and what it's not like. In John chapter 8, for example, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, but my kingdom is not from this world. We don't do things like that. Or as he says elsewhere, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has arrived to inaugurate his kingdom and recreate the world and expand its territory. But in his kingdom, things are kind of backwards. In his kingdom, things are kind of upside down. It doesn't operate the way other kingdoms do. Who's really great off in worldly kingdoms isn't so well off in Jesus' kingdom. Who's really low off in worldly kingdoms is actually pretty well off in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus expands the kingdom by humbly serving the poor and lifting them up. And he expands the kingdom through prayer. Prayer is like Jesus' favorite kingdom expansion strategy. Not wrath and destruction, but prayer. I mean, what do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, your kingdom come. That's how we build the kingdom. This is how Jesus taught his subjects to expand the kingdom. Prayer, service, sacrifice. That's why we serve the homeless here at Rooftop and don't offer military training. That's why we practice forgiveness here at Rooftop and not vengeance seminars. That's why we hold prayer meetings, not political rallies, because the kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't expand the way we think kingdoms would. And, and for the record, this kingdom expansion strategy worked too. Much to, gen the, much to the, uh, the consternation of Jesus' enemies, as Jesus showed God's love and grace to the people, the kingdom grew. As he healed people, as he fed the hungry, the kingdom grew. Without raising a sword, without casting the vote, a kingdom of God expanded. In fact, Jesus was so committed to sacrifice as his kingdom strategy that he gave up his life for the cause. He died on a cross at the hands of his enemies. And in one of the most ridiculous ironies of history, a sign hung above Jesus' head, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Which brings us to season five, coronation. What I think is super interesting about the crucifixion of Christ, and for those of you that don't know, that's how the life of Jesus ended on earth. It ended on a cross. And what I think is, is super interesting about the, the crucifixion of Christ is actually how it's portrayed in the Gospels. The crucifixion of Christ is actually described as a coronation scene. You know what a coronation is? We just saw one from the crown. A coronation is when someone is officially anointed king or queen. 
Queen Elizabeth was ruling Great Britain for months before her coronation, but her coronation was the public moment for all to see. It's when all the power, when all the might of the throne is made visible, when the crown is officially set upon her head. But in the kingdom of Christ, things are so upside down that Jesus is not raised to a golden throne. Jesus is raised a bloody mess upon a crucifix. That's his throne. His crown is a crown of thorns. And here's the thing. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood this would be his coronation. As he tells his disciples before his crucifixion, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, another name for Christ, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. That language of being lifted up, of being elevated, that's actually royal imagery. That's royal language of being honored and feared and elevated as kings. That's what we do with queens and kings. We lift them up. And we did that to Jesus too, except we lifted him up on a cross. We coronated him with a crown of thorns. Now, of course, Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. He was buried, then he was raised. He ascended into heaven, where scripture says he sits at the right hand of God the Father. It was understood by the early Christians that when Jesus was raised again and lifted up to heaven, he immediately entered the throne room of God. As Peter says in the book of Acts, following his resurrection and ascension, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. Even now, Jesus rules over heaven and earth. Even now, Jesus rules over heaven and earth. Now, it doesn't always seem so, though, right? As we look around, it doesn't always appear that Jesus reigns as king. Death, sin, disease, war are still the norm for our world. We still suffer and die. We still have bad days. We still have bad weeks. We still get depressed. We still have to deal with school shootings. As the author of Hebrews writes, In putting everything under Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. In putting everything under Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. God put everything subject to Jesus, but we don't always see it. Everything is subject to Jesus as king, but that doesn't mean that everything is obedient to Jesus as king. The world today is like colonial America. Colonial America, prior to the Revolutionary War, was officially under the authority of British King George. Technically, legally, he was in charge. But we didn't like that. We didn't want that. We didn't accept that. We were King George's subjects, but not willing, obedient ones. That's the world today. The world exists under the rule of Jesus our King. He desires to protect and guide us and lead us in ways better than how King George ever could, but we don't want his rule. We don't think we need his rule. In fact, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're a rebel. Maybe you are an American revolutionary. You know that God is in charge of the world. You know God's in charge of your life, but you don't want him to be. You like your freedom. You like your tea. You want to live your life the way you want to live your life. You want to spend your money the way you want to spend your money. You want to have the kind of sex that you want to have. You want to waste your time the way you want to waste your time. You want to say what you want to say. You want to believe what you want. And you can. For now, you can. King Jesus. Here's the thing about King Jesus. He gives his subjects freedom. 
to hurt and be hurt. For now, we can live how we want. But not forever. Which brings us to the final season of King Jesus, the series. It's season six. Consummation. A consummation is a state of perfection. It's the completion of something. When, a, when marriage vows are consummated through sex, uh, the marriage agreement is completed. It's consummated. It's made perfect. It's kind of finalized. And the same thing is true of Jesus' reign as king. After centuries of preparation, Jesus arrived to inaugurate the kingdom. In his crucifixion and in his ascension, he has been coordinated as king. But his reign has not been consummated. It has not been perfected. It has not been finalized. He rules over the earth as an unruly and rebellious planet like early America. But what King George was unable to do, King Jesus can do and will. He will consummate his reign. He will return in a blaze of glory in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hate to put it this way, but in the final season of King Jesus, the series, you will recognize the kingship of Jesus one way or another. Either as a joyful subject or a doomed rebel. You will bow your knee and recognize his rule. At the final consummation, there will be no more questions about whether or not King Jesus is in charge. The earth will be eternally recreated under the rule of Jesus as it always was meant to be. Jesus even describes this moment at the very end of his earthly life. In an early episode of the series, probably, according to my timeline, uh, towards the end of season three inauguration, Jesus gives us a picture. Jesus gives us a picture of what will take place in the series finale. You always want to know what will happen in the series finale? Early in the season, Jesus actually tells us exactly what's going to happen in the series finale. He gives us a preview of the very end of the show. In Matthew 25, he says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Like I said, we were created to be ruled, to rule from the beginning. Take your inheritance that has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. That's a series finale. And that's a series finale worth waiting for, right? Not like Seinfeld <laughs> or Lost. Lost. Oh my gosh, I waited seven seasons for that thing. <laughs> that's a season finale worth waiting for. That's when Jesus returns in glory to consummate his kingdom, rewards his subjects who practice sacrifice and generosity, and rids the earth of those who don't. So, that's my pitch. That's my pitch 
for King Jesus the series, the story of Jesus' kingdom in six seasons, introduction, preparation, inauguration, expansion, coronation, consummation. I'm sure we would watch if it ever got made. Like I said, we love watching lives of the royals. We don't like having them. We like watching them. But importantly, this isn't a TV series we need to watch because we are, every single one of us, living it. We don't need to watch it. We're in it. If anything, King Jesus is watching us. Jesus' story as king has already been written. Ours haven't. King Jesus is watching our lives to see how we choose to live them. Do we choose to be his subjects or do we choose to be rebels? Do we choose to expand the kingdom with Jesus through acts of love and service and sacrifice and prayer no matter the cost? Or do we choose violence and power and vengeance? That's our choice this morning. Will we live as subjects or rebels? Generous sheep or selfish goats? What kind of lives will the king find us living when he returns? Because he will return. We know that. I've told you the script. It's been out for centuries. Everybody knows how the series will end. There's no need for spoiler alert here. The king will return. He is even now on his way. Maybe down the road, maybe at the door. He's coming, but he's not here yet. And as frustrating as that might be, you know what it means. There's still time. There's still time to repent, to get baptized, to confess, to become a citizen in the kingdom of God. So get off Netflix. And for some of you, I'm speaking quite literally. Get off Netflix. Stop being fascinated by the lives of the royals and actually subject yourself to the only king whose reign and rule really matters. Let's pray. Father, I submit myself to you as my king and to your son as my king. I know that in my heart I am a rebel. I like to sell my tea at the price I decide. I like to live my life the way I want. I like to say what I want to say. I like to think of myself the way I want to think of myself. I like to lust when I want to lust. I want to be generous when I want to be generous and not when I don't want to be generous. But you are my king. When I got baptized, that's what I submitted to. And you are a good king, and that's the thing. You are a good king. You are not a violent, overbearing, power-hungry, vindictive king. That's what we see 
in your life when you came to earth. That's the kind of king you are. A king who blesses the poor, hangs out with the broken, befriends the lonely. That's the king you want to be to every single person in this room. A king who leads and challenges, yes, yes, but also meets us in our brokenness, restores us, forgives us in our sin, and gives us strength in our weakness. That's the king the world needs, and that's the king you are. So here this morning, we re-subject ourselves to you as our king. And we pray that you give us strength and energy and vision as we expand your kingdom here. While we wait for your consummation, we continue your expansion strategy of prayer and love and grace and forgiveness. Thank you for the series and this opportunity that you've given us to learn who your son Jesus is in all of his splendor, in all the many ways that he appears to us in scripture and in life. He is a prophet, he is your son, he is a descendant of David, he is the word, he is the mediator between God and man, and he is also our king. We pray these things in his name and by the power of your Holy Spirit.